clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the uh, Real Guy Podcast. I have a special guest in the Lunker Dog Studios today. Actually, we're via internet today. We're doing our social distancing. This is uh, Terry Gibson. Terry Gibson is from the American Water Security Project, and he's been an advocate for clean water for a long time. Terry, thanks for being on the Lunker Dogs Real Guy podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me, Jeff. It's a it's an honor. Oh no, dude! It's guys like you that make the podcast the you know what it is. Um, we try to get as many real guys on the podcast as we can. We try to make it a real guy perspective. So, um, thanks for. Um, being here and um i'm sure the audience is going to um enjoy it now terry how um i know that you're a big advocate for water now what exactly is your position at the american water security project i'm the government affairs director i basically handle you know almost all of the interactions with government entities um that are um charged with dealing with um you know stormwater and wastewater and wastewater in particular Okay. And how long have you been doing that? Well, the organization is a little shy of three years old, but our team has worked together on these issues for, for over 20 years and, and um, for most of us anyway. And, and uh, you know, a few years back, um, some of my hunting clients, um, you know, as you know, Jeff, I'm a hunting guide part-time and, and I was a fishing guide for many years and kind of gave up on it because of all the pollution. Um, but um Anyway, a couple of them came to me a few years ago and said, you know, in the Indian River Lagoon where I live is just completely dead from sewage. And, you know, then there's the confounding issues with the um, Lake Okeechobee discharges. And they just said, what, can you fix this? And, and I've done some work for them, political work for them before. And I said, it's a, it's a huge problem, but it's come to such a head that I think the public's awoken. And um, yeah, I think we can. And so um, we, uh, they, you know, we managed to raise a couple of nickels and put together a dream team and you know over the last two years in the Florida legislative session we've kicked some serious butt and um and on the federal level as well um I know it doesn't seem like it when you if you're from a place like Fort Lauderdale but um but yeah I mean we've um we've been successful we've, we've gotten record funding to, to fix these projects two years in a row and of course this year there's a giant asterisk next to that money because of um the COVID virus impacts and the legislature may go back and and reappropriate those monies. Um, but we've also, you know, helped encouraged, um, especially members of the Florida delegation in Congress, just as, such as uh, Senator Rubio and on the House side, Congressman Christ and Congressman diaz Blart and Ms. Washington Schultz and others, they've really plussed up the budget um, to fix the stuff on, on the federal level too. And, you know, the nice thing about sewage issues is that they're complicated, but, you know, ultimately if you've got a pretty smart engineer and the political will and a wrench and a couple of dollars, a lot of dollars, actually, you can fix this stuff in a relatively short time. Right. Right. That's, that's, that was one of my, um, that was one of my deciding factors when I, when I decided that I was going to start to speak up about the water quality issues and exactly, um, you know, picking my fight, um, the sewage issue, especially here in South Florida, you know, it's it's not a debatable issue. Um, the city, the county, the state, they know that it has to be, you know, addressed and taken care of. And um, it's one of the few um, problems that we're having with water quality where it's just undebatable and um, 
the government is supposed to be on top of it already. And it's just amazing how much energy and effort that it takes in order to get the government to do the right thing with the uh, infrastructure and the sewage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I started telling and members of my team started telling, you know, Broward County officials, Miami-Dade County officials, city of Fort Lauderdale, back in the late nineties, we said, you have to fix this. This isn't optional. And it began with um, the realization that, that your sewage outfalls on the coral reef were killing the reef. Um, you know, suddenly, you know, the volumes of nutrients out there were high enough to allow, um, you know, what we call seaweed algaes. Um, you know, they got so thick, they actually likened them to um, kudzu. And actually, we started, they got the nickname kudzu on the reef. And they also, you know, infected the corals with, with human pathogens and said, you have to close that. And they hired every biostitute they could find to say it wasn't that. It's this, it's that, you know, it's the other thing. And there's a bunch of things that stress corals, but, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we knew perfectly well by the late nineties that corals and sewage don't mix. And so, you know, we fought with them and, um, really didn't get too far. In the meantime, we, we did succeed in getting the, um, the, the cruise, forcing the cruise ships to stop dumping their sewage pollution in state waters. I'm a surfer too. And really, any, you, you know, the health, some of the healthiest people in the world are sur surfers and anybody who's surfing anywhere near where a cruise ship came in an inlet would get sick on the North swells and they'd blow the sewage right on into the beach. And so we took it to the Florida legislature and, and um, I was working at Florida sports and magazine at the time. And I really appreciate those guys for allowing me to use some of my time to, to work with the legislature there. And, and um, we got that banned. And then, um, you know, we tried to took a run at the sewage outfalls and, you know, following the hurricanes of 04 and 05, we entered into a, a serious drought. And in politics, you really, you know, it's not all, you, you, politics, you know, require strange bedfellows to be, to, uh, to be you know, victorious. And this time we had the most powerful political ally ever called a drought. <laughs> We we're right. running out of water. And so, you know, we we got a, a quote date certain to close those outfalls by 2013 and um and requirements to recycle and reuse those water those waters um optimally by then. And um, you know, I, that we knew full well that the infrastructure on land wasn't in place to do that and it was gonna be expensive and there was a recession and all that. And uh so they punted to twenty twenty five. Right. And they were going to punt again this year and they, they would have gotten another extension if we hadn't kicked their butts. Yeah. So, you know, so, so there's that. And I mean, you know, I can go on and on and on, but you know, your mayor, Mayor Trentalis, you know, I don't know him very well, but you know, he at least did stop um, the most, the, the practice that's the reason why these systems are failing all over the state and all over the nation primarily is because elected officials are using their utilities as monopoly money. You know, a, a wastewater utility is a, is a cash cow. Every right. time you flush it, it earns a dollar or two. And so they'll go build libraries. They'll go hold parades. Up in Brevard County, they were they were building kayak ramps for to the tune of a couple million dollars, 500 yards from where the sewage, raw sewage was dumping into the Indian River Lagoon. And so... Um, that practice has to stop, and, and Mayor Trentalos deserves some some um, some credit for for stop, for weaning the city off of those revenues. But y'all still have a you know according to the Reese report, which is the the roadmap, and you're lucky you have one. I mean, it's it's over a billion dollars to fix this stuff. I wouldn't be surprised; it's a lot more. Right. Yeah. No. That's. Um, it, it, I'm sure it's going to be a billion dollars. And from what I understand, the government here 
the local government here has already, now people will say allocate $250 million towards other mm -hmm. things. In the Real Guy Network, you just kind of tell it the way it is and say <laughs> they sold the $250 million to do whatever right. the hell they wanted with. Mm -hmm. And um, so you think going forward that the local governments are actually going to start doing the right thing with all the money that they're collecting? Well, so this legislative session, which, quote, ended, you know, back in March, mid-March, we passed what was called the, the Clean Waterways Act and the Environmental Fines Act. They're two different yeah. bills. The Clean Waterways Act is like 90 pages. It's incredibly complex and sweeping and foundational. It covers everything from ag pollution to wastewater pollution to stormwater pollution, you name it. Okay. And so we work very hard on the wastewater and stormwater parts of it. And so one of the key provisions in that bill, if the governor signs it into law, um, is that the utilities will have to, to present the Department of Environmental Protection each year with a plan and continue to update that plan and report on their progress. And one of the things that they're going to have to do is, is turn over their financials. So, you know, a goodly percentage, and I don't know the number off the top of my head, but a goodly percentage of the utility, wastewater utilities around the state are under what are consoled, con called consent decrees or consent orders or both. One is a federal judge's order. The other is a state judge's order. And if the DEP doesn't, you know, enforce the, um, you know, their consent, um, I'm going to get it backwards here, uh, consent order, um, you know, then these guys just keep, you know, raiding the, the utilities reserves and enterprise funds as they're called and paint using, you know, stealing as you put it, and they'll do anything. But now they're going to have to turn over their financials and it's going to be a lot more transparent process. And I can tell you from numerous conversations with this administration and this DEP that they've had it, that they're not going to cut these guys any slack anymore. So now that's, where I was, that's kind of where I was going to next. Now, mm -hmm. uh, when you say this, administration you're talking about since DeSantis has gotten into office in the state that's right state. that's right that's right now, explain to my listeners because you know a lot of people are rooting for DeSantis and um they genuinely believe that he's doing the right thing explain what the right thing is I mean tell me exactly what DeSantis has changed since he's been in and why the people should feel that because um, a lot of people, you know, voted for him because of the water issues. Right. So explain to the audience exactly, you know, the real things that he's done so far, not the smoke and mirrors, not the PR stuff, but the real sure. stuff, the nuts and bolts. So the two bills that I just referenced, the Environmental Fines Act and the Clean Waterways Act, they're essentially his legislation. And, you know, he made that promise when he, you know, he made that, you know, that campaign promise and you know, I was like, well, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but I've seen a lot of politicians say a lot of things and he's serious about it. And, you know, I would say, you know, and I, I mean this in a deeply nonpartisan way, your governor needs your support right now. He needs to hear from you that you're in, enthusiastic about these pieces of legislation. And he needs to hear from you that we cannot, even despite this disaster of the virus and all the economic pain, we absolutely cannot raid the monies that the state legislature put towards fixing these problems and put it towards something else. Cause if we do, we're just leaving ourselves even more vulnerable. Uh, we, we don't have a choice, but to fix this. So, um, you know, he, um, he, the, the, the secretary of DEP, Noah Valenstein, I just, uh, I can't say enough about how he handled himself in the committee hearings this, this year. 
you know, he, he was Johnny on the spot with every question from the legislature. He explained it clearly, you know, non-confrontationally. He presented a clear vision of how the, the agency was, is going to proceed. And he told him what he needed in terms of staff and, and money to do this stuff. And so, you know, we walked away from the session thinking, you know, wow, we ran the table here. This is awesome. And, you know, three days before session's over, you know, we're basically all in a quarantine situation. Right. You know, wow. so, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it's you know, the best laid plans, you know, you know, it's like, you know, you, you best laid plans for a fishing trip and then, you know, swells up, winds out the wrong direction, blah, blah, blah. The, the forecaster got it wrong. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, I mean, if there's one thing y'all listening to this, if I could say is, you know, call your state legislators call um, the governor's office and just beg him to, to sign that those bills into law. And again, they're the Clean Waterways Act and the Environmental Fines Act. And there's some other really good stuff we could talk about too, some smaller bills. Um, but, but most importantly, we need those appropriations. That's what's called when, when the government dedicates state revenues, state, the state, some of the state budget to a project or projects. We need all that stormwater, wastewater, and Everglades money. Otherwise, we're just going to be in, um, you know, we're just going to be 10 times as vulnerable. Right. So right. anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. I don't know. It's good stuff. The, um, like one of the things, and, and I wanted to run this by you because you've been at this for so long and been paying attention <laughs> for so long Yeah. and I'm fairly new to it. Like I knew we had the water quality issues. I knew that the sewage was going into the intercoastal waterway here for the longest time, mm-hmm. but, um, I haven't been in the fight, you know, for decades, you know, publicly and paying attention. But one of the things that I, that is just totally mind boggling to me. All right. So make, make, make numbers um, easy. We've Mm -hmm. been into um, serious sewage crisis here in Fort Lauderdale for the last six months. Mm -hmm. We watched hundreds of millions of gallons of sewage go into the intercoastal and we watched fish kills, um, stunk like holy hell, sewage was in people's front yards. It was running up and down the streets here in Fort Lauderdale. It was on national news. I mean, you couldn't get more, um, at least I've never seen as much um, focus and attention brought to a pollution problem since like, you know, Deepwater Horizon or something like that. And here we are six months later and yeah, they're fixing some of the, like the major um, pipes in town, but there's so much stuff that it just seems to me six months has gone by and they really haven't done anything except for what was already paid four years ago. Mm. And the slow process, man, it gives me an ulcer. No, oh, I hear you, man. I mean, I have to counsel myself with patients just constantly. I mean, you have no I mean, do, do you, how, idea how many times I just have to hold my fist. It just gets so maddening. But um, I mean, especially when you know lives and, and health or you know, livelihoods and health are at stake. And you know what I would like to offer, you know, as soon as we can all you know reconvene somehow, is just it's you know I, I'll get some of my experts together and we can help you know the folks down in Fort Lauderdale figure out how to be an oversight committee. You know, you know, or something like that, you know, so where you can, you can track the progress, you know, if they miss a deadline, you know it, and you can, you can, you know, you can take the cane to them, so to speak. So, um, 
And this is what's happened in many different areas. You know, uh, I mean, in, um, you know, along the Indian River Lagoon and, and just for simplicity's sake, I want to leave um, the issues out of um, the Lake Okeechobee discharges. But, you know, north of Fort Pierce, really, you know, south of Pope Sound, Lake Okeechobee doesn't have anything to do with it. And it's mostly sewage is the issue. I mean, there's some fertilizer issues and things like that, but it's mostly sewage. And, and uh, there have been, you know, a handful of, of groups and, and academic institutions that have sort of treat, treated the Indian River Lagoon like you know, they've sort of kept it intentionally on life support and then just bled it like a bunch of leeches instead of advocating for the funding and the, and the solutions that heal that lagoon, you know, in the, in the, in the quickest way possible. And so I just would caution you against that. Everybody's going to try to make them every time there's a disaster, somebody try, tries to come in and capitalize on it. You know, I heard, I think the person was well-meaning, but you know, I heard a lot about oyster restoration down there. Right. And I mean, my team just like, we nearly just threw up. We're like, are you serious? There's no way that water can support oysters. It's just a waste of money. It's just a feel good PR stunt. And it, and it provides elected officials with cover to continue to ignore these big expensive problems. Um, it makes it look like they're doing something when, you know, we've done in Brevard County, for example, we work very closely with a new commission, but a new majority of the commission and with, um, with, uh, uh, state representative Randy Fine, who by the way is the man if you ever see Randy Fine. Um, he, he deserves as much credit for anybody for changing the whole conversation about sewage in Florida. He's just an outstanding represent- public official and public servant. But, you know, we, we unelected some people up there that were in the way. And then, you know, we went and told, told the truth and we told the truth in peer-reviewed scientific literature. You know, we didn't just, you know, put out, you know, two-minute videos that confused the public. We went and we proved that the nitrogen that was in the harmful algal blooms, it was killing the lagoon, was from sewage. Right. I mean, you know, and so, you know, we did the hard yards and we stuck to high ground and we always stuck to the science. And, you know, I'm now, you know, and then also Brevard County dedicated a half cent sales tax to restore, restoring the lagoon and 91% or so of that money, give or take a, a little, a, a shade of a percent here or there now is going to fixing the wastewater and stormwater problems up there instead of the window dressing and hand waving and nonsense that, that was, was just, you know, basically torturing the lagoon. Yeah. So, you know, um, Again, you know, I, I really hope you guys in Fort Lauderdale can organize and we're happy to help you and just make sure they make progress and nobody takes the bait on a bunch of stuff that really... These feel-good projects, like the Oyster Project, are any of these oyster-style projects, like I know Blair Wiggins was doing um, a clam project up in mm-hmm. um, your neck of the woods in the Indian River Lagoon. Yeah, North of Does any of that stuff... Um, or has any of that stuff actually worked? Because the Oyster Project here, I understand exactly where you're coming from. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And I kind of told the people that were doing the Oyster Project here is, um, I didn't discourage them in any way, but I told them is I could put you in a boat right now and I can take you around to the areas that um, the oysters will grow and I can take you to the areas where the oysters won't grow. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that these oyster catchers are going to kind of mirror that same exact, um, you know, protocol or same exact information. I can't see that these oyster catchers that the CCA is putting around Fort Lauderdale is going to filter the water and make it clean again. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect to that organization and to Blair and everybody else, um, 
I, I don't. They've in the Indian River Lagoon, they've attempted a lot of bivalve restoration projects, and you know when your dominant phytoplankton is toxic, it's just going to choke them out. Right. And you know, I I I I feel like it's a little bit of a PR stunt mixed with some some good intentions, um, but. You know, it's millions of dollars that should be going to shutting off the pollution at its source, and that and that bothers me. Yeah. And so, and, and to but to and to drill down on that a little bit more, you know, NOAA has guide, guidance on like you know how to test the water quality and phytoplankton to see whether or not a bivalve has a has a has a snowball's chance in South Florida of surviving. And so, you know, the goal is to get the water back to the place where these where these restoration um, projects can work. You know, we want to grow oysters. We want to grow clams, but we can't do it until we, if we continue to make these, these estuaries and in rivers and everything else, hyper eutrophic and say, are just so loaded with pollution that they can't support really anything but toxic phytoplankton. Right. Or, you know, and so, um, you know, it's, uh, we really need to take a more disciplined approach to restoration. And I've seen this, you know, we work all over the country um, you know, our experts do. And, you know, we've seen this everywhere. You see this, I mean, it's, you see, you know, especially in the early stages of a restoration project in a, in a major system. Chesapeake Bay is a prime example. You know, early on, the ag guys were pointing at the wastewater guys. Look over there. It's them. It's them. No, no, it's both of you guys. <laughs> and then there were all the distractions. Well, let's replant some seagrass and let's replant some oysters and everything else. And then, you know, and and then the guys that were overfishing the clams and the oysters and the crabs and the oysters and everything else were pointing at the polluters and everybody's pointing at each other instead of taking responsibility for themselves. Right. And, you know, and so the, the American water security project's philosophy is everybody's responsible for their own pollution and for their own, you know, ethical behavior. Um, and, and if you're not going to do that, then, then there need to be laws against it, whatever you're doing um, or, or consequences of some kind. So, um, you know, the take-home message I, for your audience, you know, on how to fix, make these 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 waterways productive again, in the sense that we want them to be, like they're producing, you know, tarpon, snook. Although those aren't great examples because I think those things will live, survive the apocalypse. But if you want, you know, lush seagrass meadows and and healthy, you know, bivalve reefs and things like that, you have to cut the pollution off of the source. That's the first that's step one. Period in story. And in wastewater or sewage, as we can, can call it. It is. A, it has a concentration of nutrients and minerals that is just superfood for harmful algal blooms. And I don't just mean red tide and blue green algae, although they certainly love wastewater as much as any other um, harmful algal bloom does. But just about every type, from the from the the kudzu growing on the reef, you know, off your reef up there, down there, and to um, you know the the large you know turfy macroalgae that are blanketing the Indian River Lagoon in many places, you know. They're not going away until you stop feeding them. Right. 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 Yeah, that's um like that's the thing here in Fort Lauderdale. Um and it's also Miami. <laughs> it's also Pompano. It's also you you know, it's mm-hmm. like all around us. Um, you know, it's not like the politicians don't know, you know, that the sewage and the infrastructure um systems are just totally failing. You know, and it's just amazing to me that not only do they know is they have no problem um, hiding it. You know, they do here in Fort Lauderdale, especially because this is the one that I'm familiar with. You know, I actually went sure. out there 
together and tried to make a difference and tried to talk to the city officials and the commissioners and the mayors and reaching out to the DEP. I reached out to the governor. I got to tell you that the governor and um, anybody that I reached out to in the state, um, at the state level, was very helpful. Good. And they actually got back to my phone calls and um, wanted to hear the information, wanted to know exactly what was going on here in Broward County. And I felt like the people in the state um, actually gave a shit a lot more than the people in the city, which kind of threw me back. I figured the people in the city would be the ones that would have all the energy and then they would be fighting with the state. But um, <laughs> it was exactly the opposite, at least in my experience. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that, that the Fort Lauderdale's issues are squarely on Governor DeSantis' radar screen. He's not happy about it at all. He's also singled out the city of St. Pete, which is where we're actually based. And uh, the mayor over there, Mayor Kreisman, he actually closed one of his wastewater treatment plants, even though he didn't have the capacity to treat all the sewage he had to treat already. And then gave this, the, it was on a primo piece of waterfront property. And I forget who he gave it to and why, but it was, it, it was pretty sus suspicious. And then proceeded to spill over a billion gallons of sewage into the streets, into the creeks, into Tampa Bay itself. And most of the time it was in, in poor, you know, underprivileged communities because those people aren't as powerful, intentionally dumped it there. So, you know, I'm sorry what you guys are dealing with. We see this all over the state and, um, and we're proud of this legislation that was passed. And we think that that's going to seriously curtail it, um, if not stop it, mm -hmm. but um, it's going to require, you know, People can't just flush and hope for the best anymore, man. You got to know what's going on in your community in terms of your wastewater. You just have to. That seems to be the message that I think I want to focus on going forward is I look at the rest of the state, especially the smaller towns. Like my parents moved to Punta Gorda and um, I'm starting to get familiar with the West Coast up to, you know, like, uh, what do you call it? Homosassa. Mm -hmm. um, we were Lunker Cons in Tampa. So I'm starting to get to know some of the smaller towns on the West Coast. And I just, um, I just think that if we spend some energy to educate those smaller towns on the mistakes that Miami and Fort Lario have made, especially with infrastructure. Yeah. Um, I'm just praying and hoping that if I deliver that message that They'll learn from our mistakes. What do you think? Do you think that the small governments and these smaller towns through Florida are looking? Do you think they care? And do you think that Broward and Dade County would, is serving an example for them not to be like? Um, you know, I couldn't say a blanket statement one way or the other, but let me back up you know, and, and give you all a reason for hope. You know, in the in the 70s, the, the Sarasota Bay and Tampa Bay collapsed primarily because of sewage pollution. And, it, you know, the, the Clean Water Act had just passed and there was some money to, to um, you know, appropriations from that. Actually, I think it was a ridiculous amount. If I remember, it was like 60 billion or something like that. If I remember my history books correctly, that's a lot of money in 1978 or 79. 
Sure. It, but they they got they got busy and they you know they they created you know master collection systems for wastewater and they started treat, treating the wastewater to advanced levels so that it you know it didn't have pathogens or um, no levels of nutrients that would fuel harmful algal blooms or hypoxia or anything else and you know within about eight or nine years both of those systems came back and they came back to the point where they had 1960 or sorry just put World War II levels of seagrass coverage. Hmm. Even though the even though the, the the population had probably quintupled, you know, I mean, millions of people live around Tampa Bay and Sarasota Bay, right. but because they put in, they invested in that master wastewater system. To this day, you still have relatively healthy ecosystems. However, you know, Sarasota is starting their their infrastructure starting to show some wear and tear, and um, you know, there's a really bad actor in St. Pete and, and all that. You know, there's there's they're, they, you know the they're backsliding a bit, but I think we've, we've put them in check. And the third part of the equation is sea level rise and the impacts of climate change. You know, we've got septic tanks all over the place. Right. And if anybody ever says that a septic tank is functioning properly, they don't know what they're talking about. A septic tank pollutes by design. All a septic tank does is hold back the solids and the fluids run out. And it's just like squeezing an orange. All the nutrition from the juice, not in the rind. And so you know, our ground, our groundwater tables have risen considerably. Um, these storms that we're getting are so much wetter and more powerful that they're just, you know, for example, you know, we, some of our, our team did some studies up here in St. Lucie County um, this summer and the septic tanks are underwater. Underwater. I mean, I'm literally here in Jensen Beach standing over a river of human excrement. Mm. Okay. From, mostly from septic tanks. And yeah. I mean, that's right up on and down the coast and both coasts. But back to your question about the smaller and mid-sized utilities, um, you know, I, 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 I want to take you on a tour with us and let you go tell your story again and again and again as a cautionary tale. But they don't have the, um, you know, a lot of these folks don't even have a grant writer. Um, they don't even know where to begin. And, and they're growing so fast they can't keep up. And, and that's partially an, a lack of discipline in their leadership. You just shouldn't grow past your your water capacities, but everything's boom and bust in Florida. Um, right. So I would say some do, some are getting there. Some are looking around and asking for help because they're, they're clueless. And I don't mean that in an derogatory way. They just don't know. And so what our organization, the American Water Security Project is doing right now is we're, well, we were about to embark on a series of, um, of symposia where we brought in, you know, resilience expert resilience um, officials from X, Y, and Z city and their wastewater folks. And we brought in, you know, uh, funding experts from the EPA, from DEP, from FEMA, um, from some bonding um, companies and everything else. And you know, we're literally going to teach them how to, how to, how to get this money and how to make these improvements affordable for their, for their citizens. And um, so we had to push this back a little bit because of the virus, but we're going to continue to do that. But, you know, um, in a way, Jeff, you know, I know this has really been awful for you guys, but the awfulness of the situation that it was going on during the Florida legislative session made it impossible for the legislature to ignore. And don't get me wrong, there were a lot of people up there, Randy Fine, Holly Rothschild, I could go on and on and on, um, you know, really cared about this stuff and, and wanted to work on it, but it made it impossible to ignore. And they seized on the issue and they passed strong legislation and they put record funding towards it. So now the hard part begins. It's called the implementation. 
They've got to get them the money. They've got to do the planning. They've got to start the construction. Yeah, you know, and that stuff is that sounds simple. It's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Mm-hmm. The, um, I don't know, like Fort Lauderdale um, and Tampa, I know, is the same exact way. Miami's the same exact way. Um, the corruption here that goes along with the city politics is unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. The corruption is stronger than the will of the people in my union in Fort Lauderdale. And I'm just hoping that the will of the people can win here. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as long as I can remember, the will of the people here basically has been manipulated and shut down basically by corrupt politicians and um, people that want to do development here. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to throw the word, the C word around at anybody that I don't know um, and I can't prove it, but um, you know, I think that, um, that, you know, the legislature recognized that people weren't taking this seriously and they came after him. And and I should really point out um, and thank uh, Senator Debbie Mayfield, who's from Melbourne area. He was the um, chair of the appropriations committee on the Senate side that, and the author of the primary author of the, the clean water act. I mean, she saw this, you know, she'd seen it in her backyard. She's tired of it. And, um, you know, and, you know, they, they did, you know, what they, what they, what they passed should require um, these local officials to act, to pay attention to these basic services that you can't live without. Matter of fact, will kill you if you don't, could kill you if you don't um, financially and otherwise, if you don't fulfill right. that, 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 that obligation. Right. Right. Now talk to me a little bit about, um, the fishing guides and the fishing enthusiasts, the hunting enthusiasts, the, the outdoorsmen, um, the momentum of support that you're getting from them now, um, is it greater than it's ever been? Or is it just because I'm paying attention to it more than I've ever been? I think it's greater than it's ever been, you know, um, uh, you know, I see a, a lot of, um, you know, non-traditional partnerships, you know, where, you know, the environmental organizations, sportsmen are working together instead of, you know, trading conspiracy theories about who's going to take each other's guns and rods away. That's productive. <laughs> um, you know, um, I, you know, I can't tell you how many sportsmen and women we had, you know, in Tallahassee the last two years to testify about what this, you know, what, what, I, you know, what this does to them. And, um, and uh, you know, it, it was really moving. Um, the other com- component, young voters. Um, young voters are really upset about this stuff, um, and that and that's pretty worrisome, you know, especially to the Republican Party because you know it's hard to poll young voters, and that group is that that party is you know sort of trending older and whiter, and so I, I see a shift in the politics as well. Really? I think, yeah, uh, I do. I mean, I, I mean, absolutely. Almost every one of the legislators I've named. Um, you know, is a Republican, and uh, and I should and I should also um, mention um, Kristen Jacobs, who unfortunately died a few days ago of cancer. She's a prominent Democrat from from Broward County, and she's a, spent her entire career as a, a champion of the environment. And uh, and what we've just lost a tremendous resource there. She she just she had so much history and so such a depth of understanding in these complex water issues. Um, and a lot of the legislation that moved forward this year. 
um, you know, was informed by her wisdom. So I see it. I see the Republicans seizing on the issue. I mean, witness Ron DeSantis's win. And I see the, um, you know, and I see more bipartisan cooperation in finding ways to solve it. So I am optimistic. Very good. That's mm-hmm. good to hear. One of the, um, one of the things that um, I'm trying to decide going forward is exactly where um, I want to spend my energy as far as, um, you know, combating the things that need to be combated in order to make our water quality issues better. And I think one of the, one of the things that keeps coming back to me is I think it's important. And, and this is maybe where the young people like you were talking about would come, come into mind. I think it's important that people know who's running in their Mm -hmm. local government um, and what their, um, what their issues and where they're, where they stand on water quality issues. Mm-hmm. And I think going forward, um, educating people and letting people know exactly who's running on water issues and who has not run on water issues. And I think once people start um, paying attention to who's running on water issues, then we'll get a landslide of politicians and not really because they want to fix the water or that's their passion. It's simply because they know that's where the votes are going to come from. No, that's, that's right. That's, that's where right. the real power is. Nobody would have spoke to me if I didn't have a huge social media following and every every move that we did here in Fort Lauderdale, 100,000 people would see. If only five, if only 50 or 100 people were seeing that, I wouldn't have got any attention at all. And it's one of the most valuable lessons that I learned um, in a short amount of time is that's what really matters to these politicians. So I think educating, especially the younger voter, on who's running on water policies, who's running on water issues, I think is where I believe I can spend a lot of time and energy and actually get somewhere. Well, you're becoming a student of, um, not just a student of Tarpon, but a student of political science, Jeff. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, it's, it's about votes and, 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 and politicians do calculus all the time about, you know, where they have to be on certain issues and, and how, you know, how firm they need to be or how aggressive they need to be to, on a given issue to get reelected. But, um, you know, that said, you know, I mean, I can tell you like, you know, Holly Roshine, who's um, the chair of the House on Environment and Ag Appropriations Committees from the Keys, um, you know, she's terming out, but, you know, Holly played a huge leadership role this session. You know, and like me, she half grew up in Florida and half in Alaska you know, in a fishing family, um, you know, made her livings off fishing. And, um, you know, this is personal to her and she's got a little boy just like I do. And, um, you know, and that's, that was, you know, her motivation. She under, we, she understands the science and she, she cares and, and like Representative Randy Fine, you know, he's, he lives on the River Lagoon and he won't, his boys can't go water skiing there. He won't let them because the water's just so filthy. And, you know, and that just infuriated him. And um, so it was, you know, it was a deep personal connection with those members, you know, and um, Debbie Mayfield, she grew up on that Indian River Lagoon. It's just, it just, it, 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 it just saddened them to the point that, that, you know, they, and, and that they, they wanted to take action and, and here's where we are. You know, we started this call or this, this, this interview, 
you know, talking about how the, the governor needs your needs your support. You know, if if we hadn't been up there this year in the legislative session, bringing the scientists, bringing the constituents to bear, and everything else, these legislators wouldn't have had the support to get such difficult pieces of of of, um, of, of legislation done and to, to 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 give them the cover to appropriate. You know. Over over 1.1 billion dollars for the Everglades and wastewater and stormwater. It was remarkable. You got to. It's a two way street with politicians. You got to be there for them too. And and that's where we are right now. And it's we're going to be in a good spot, I think, in the next two legislative sessions, as well. We've got really great leadership coming up that cares about these issues. Um, and uh, and you know, I think some some people that are terming out, they're still going to stay in the conversation and make sure that the you know the um, institutional wisdom isn't lost. But, you know, again, you know, the, we, the people need to be there to give them support. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think, I think we're going to be able to get the people to actually pay attention Mm -hmm. and vote on the issues because now, like you said, like the water skiing conversation, I just had that conversation with uh, one of my neighbors who got a new boat and she was all excited to take the kids out water skiing and, kind of looked at her and I was like, well, I says, I feel you. And I, and, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to enjoy the moment with her, but I had to tell her, I said, listen, if you look in the water, I said, and it's all mucky and gross looking and you can't see your prop. I said, you might want to go find a place where you can before you go do any water skiing. And she's like, really, Jeff, do you think the water's that polluted? Yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, you can't just let the kids go in that water. I said, especially going into the summertime with the high temperatures. And you could see in her face, you know, like, wow, I need to think about this. I need to be um, on top of this because she was excited because she got the new boat. All she could think about was enjoying the water. And then mm-hmm. I hate to put the, you know, uh, a rain over her parade or whatever. But man. What if I didn't say anything and then one of those kids would have gotten an infection because yeah, I did it, you know? Yeah. That's something we never had I'm, to talk about. I'm not, I'm not aware of any, any water sampling going on down there. I mean, I think people are t- testing for like fecal coliform or E. coli or stuff like that. And um, those tests have their limitations. Um, but sure, if it's, if it's really spiky, it's, don't get in the water. Um, but you can't tell exactly where it's from. You know, it could be a blue heron or a human. We don't know. Uh, unless you do the DNA on it, but I'll tell you this: you know, over in um, in St. Pete, the University of South Florida did uh, did some sa- a fair amount of sampling and, and published a peer-reviewed article. Um, and peer review is the gold standard. It means it had anonymous experts review the findings and how you got there and everything else, and pick it apart and make sure that the, the science held up. But you know, they found exceedingly high MRSA um, counts in the water where the where the sewage was spilled. So, you know, I mean, if it's there, it could be everywhere, you know, right. so um, people do, I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician, I can't tell, I'm not an elected official, but, you know, I, you should at least follow the city's, um, you know, guidelines about where you should swim and where you can't and when you can't. And, you know, I, I you know, I, in my boats now, I keep a, a gallon of, um, of a hydrogen peroxide you know, full kit, you know, if I get a jack spine in my hand or whatever, I stop everything and clean it right then and there. Too many of my friends have had staph infections up here. So, right. you, you know, don't hear the times between the, um, between the uh, virus 
the COVID-19 virus and the sewage issues, um, very rarely have I ever had anything taken out of the back of my truck when I'm out fishing or at the boat ramps or anything. Uh-huh. Just recently, I had uh, some soap in the back of the truck, antibacterial soap. Uh-huh. That someone took out of the back of the truck. And think about that. Somebody, either because of the virus or because of the water quality, um, saw that antibacterial soap and wanted it. Mm-hmm. Took it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never in a million years would I have thought that would be what they'd take right. out of the back of my truck. Right. But but yeah, yeah no, I mean we've gotta be we gotta be careful and we gotta be diligent. But again, you know, we, we can fix this. We just got to stay all over them or you know, the people that don't want to change it, don't want to change their behavior in terms of, you know, running government, you stay all over them. The, the people that are determined, you know, please get their back. Yeah. I think this is one issue that we can, you know, truly expect to get fixed. Um, and the government can fix it. I think there's a lot of things that the government can't do, but the sewage, the infrastructure, the pipes, I mean, this is, you know, nuts and bolts type things. Mm-hmm. As long as they take the priority, then it will get done. And um, thanks to guys like you, um, the whole um, American um, Water Sewage Project. that uh, Well, it's know, Water Security Project. And, and, project. and yeah, and, and, you know, when we found it, we wanted to be more than just another environmental organization. You know, we wanted to look at, you know, water treatment and recycling holistically, you know, so it's treated optimally, it's recycled, we don't waste any of it, you know, our aquifers are getting saltier, we're going to run out of water, you know, this is a fishing podcast, so I don't want to get into super wonky water policy, but, you know, we just, we haven't been thinking about it holistically enough, um, given that there's, you know, 20 million people in the state and, you know, the salt water is intruding and, and, um, you know, lots of competition for water resources everywhere and thousand people moving here a day, you know, there's a lot to think about. Um, but, you know, absolutely given all these mounting challenges, we, we just, we can't be spilling raw or partially treated sewage in the water. We just can't. I mean, the Romans knew that. <laughs> right. I mean, it's basically one thinking. It's, you know, so one of the examples that I made to some people here in town that I was explaining this to, I was like, this is basic one-on-one stuff. I mean, like, the reason our military is so powerful is, like, when we go to occupy an area, the first thing we do is we put in the sewage system so the, so the army, the people in the army and the armed forces can actually, you know, take a shit or do whatever they got to do. Um, it's not rocket science, and people know that it needs to be done. Anyway, Terry, thanks for um, reading on the, um, on the Real Guy podcast. Um, before we uh, wrap this thing up, tell the audience um, – how they can uh, how they can help and um, where they can go to learn more about you. Sure. Again, if y'all could just please call the governor's office and um, call your um, your your state senators and, re- and, and 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 representatives and just ask them please not to raid the funding for Everglades restoration and wastewater and stormwater infrastructure um, this session. Um, you know, we just we can't afford to set ourselves back even further on, on our water security. And if you want to learn more about us and these issues, you know, we've got tons of blogs and videos and stuff and um, research papers that are pre-digestible. You can go to www.awsproject.org 
That's awsproject.org. Okay, right on, right on. Also, too, um, they're active on Facebook. Um, and if you click on the articles and the information that, um, that they put up, then you'll start receiving them. So um, look for them on social media. They do a pretty good job of getting out the information. Also, um, they do a great job at letting um, everybody know the good and the bad that's happening all through the country with um, infrastructure and sewage. Terry, thanks a lot for being on the Real Guys podcast today. I wish you all the best in the future. And um, just thanks for fighting. Thanks for fighting for us. All right, pal, run that dog. I appreciate your time.